I have to admit, I've got a little problem at home, and I'm wondering if you can help me with this. I think this is probably the right venue to work on this, right? In front of everyone. Let's do that. You see, sometimes I say to my kids, I want you to take your laundry and put it in the laundry room. And you know what they say to me? They say, I know. I was not looking to know if they actually knew. I was telling them what the, to happen. I didn't want, this was not supposed to be an information transfer. What I was hoping was that they would do it. Oh my gosh, we just, so Misha just understood something right there. She just understood her mom in a new way. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's okay if you leave and come back and do the laundry thing. Okay. Um, so, what has been a problem that there's a, this problem is that, that it's not about the information, it's about the action. Now, I can't throw a lot of stones. The problem is that I have some of the same problems. It's not just their problem. I have some of those same problems. You may know that my wife and I, we bought a house in September, and uh, as you may imagine, there is still a pretty good list of things for me to do there. And so I, when I think about these things, I think, oh, you know, I need to install the baseboards. I need to paint the trim. I need to weed some things in the backyard. I need to reorganize the garage. And it doesn't matter how many times I rehearse the list if I don't make any action on any of those items. I need to get to it. So I'm sorry if that bothered you. I may have just reminded you of something you're supposed to do at home right now. I'm sorry. Don't, write it down. Don't forget it. Concentrate. Okay. So these don't have to be just physical things. There's lots of physical stuff we need to get done, but they can be other things. You're thinking, hey, you know what? I need to get my finances in order. You know, I want to spend more time with my kids or my grandkids. Uh, I, I want to see my faith grow. These can be all things that we're thinking about wanting to do. And usually my plan, I'll just, I'll go ahead and tell you what my normal plan is, is just to kind of do the same thing and hope that instincts take over. All right, that doesn't tend to work. Now, I, if I just try to do all the same things I've ever done before, it doesn't seem to change anything at all in my life. And the right word for what that is, is foolishness. It's foolishness. When I expect different results from doing the same things, I'm foolish. But what we really want, what we really want, what all of us want is to actually be wise, to actually be people who understand a situation and act accordingly. That's what wisdom is, Right? to know what the situation is, and to know what I need to do, and then to actually act accordingly. That is wisdom. That's somebody who, who knows how life is supposed to work and is actually going in that direction. Several years ago, I uh, decided that I wanted chickens. And uh, I needed to build myself a chicken coop. It was the cheaper way to go. And as I, I, realized, that, I realized, I actually don't know anything about chickens. I don't know anything about chicken coops, so what did I do? I turned to the wisdom of our age, YouTube. So YouTube, very helpful. And so I was able to go online, I saw some things that people had done before, I learned from the mistakes that they had made, they said, hey, don't, don't do it this way, I did it the wrong way, you should do it this way. And here's the thing that occurred to me, if I'm willing to go for advice to other people to learn how to take care of chickens, why shouldn't I also look for some advice on how I should build my life? I should, there's plenty of stuff out there. There's plenty of places we can turn, a lot of self-help books. I've read some really great things, but there are problems. One of the problems is, is that we aren't always sure if those things play out in the long term. What do those things look like in the long term? Have they proven themselves over the long haul? 
One source that has proven over the years and in many lives, in many different countries throughout history to provide useful wisdom is the Bible. And so we can turn. And specifically, you know, there's a couple of places when people want to turn, uh, they look in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a, a list of wisdom sayings specifically talked about from a father to their children. And uh, there's a lot of advice for life in there. We can maybe approach that at some point. But in the New Testament, there is the book of James, which is called by some people the Proverbs book of the New Testament. It has a lot of practical wisdom for us about living in there. And he's going to get at, through this whole book, he's going to talk about what does it mean to be wise in the light of Christ? What does it mean for us to be actually wise people in this world in the light of Christ coming? And that's what he's going to go at. And it's, it's going to be amazing, I hope. So over the next couple of months, we're going to be looking at this book of James. We're going to get to know it, look, read all the way through it. And when I think of the book of James, I think of a book that is straight to the point. He is not going to beat around the bush. He is practical. This is faith in real life. If sometimes when you think about faith, sometimes the discussion about faith is a little too philosophical for you. You feel like, hey, you know what, that sounds interesting, but how does that affect me? I want to tell you, you are not going to be disappointed in the book of James. This is a book that you're going to start to love because it is very, very practical. He's going to get in the nitty-gritty. He's going to talk about where the rubber hits the road. So James is going to hit on a lot of different topics. So what I'm going to do this morning, I would like to give us a little bit of an overview of the book of James, get into a couple of important topics on that, and it's going to launch us into our weeks ahead. So James is going to hit a lot of topics. He's going to talk about how we talk about each other, to each other, how we treat other people. Specifically, uh, he actually gets into a lot about rich and poor, and if we treat some people better than others by the way that they're dressed or the way that we perceive them, uh, how we treat our workers who work for us. Uh, he's going to say, hey, don't just have words. You need to have some actions. And he's going to talk about prayer. He's going to talk about holiness and avoiding being worldly. He's going to talk about humility. And he's going to talk about facing suffering. And these were all topics that mattered to Christians in the first century, and they matter for us today. So today, some of these themes that we're going to look at, I would love to invite you, by the way, if you haven't got one to uh, consider studying along with us in this, you can grab a study guide in the back if there are still some left. Uh, if you are doing the study guide, you will do study one this coming week. So begin in, uh, in James 1. And we emailed that out to people if you're on our email list. If you're not on our email list, fill out a yellow card and you can get that. And just say, hey, I want the study guide. I can email it to you. We can try to get you a physical copy if we are out of them in there. All right, a couple of things just kind of help us situate ourselves in the book of James. Uh, who wrote this? Who is this James? There are lots of Jameses mentioned in the Bible. And, uh, so, and it was a common name in the early church. Uh, theologians, historians, as they look, well, this person doesn't specify which James they are. So it's interesting. They just uh, assume that everybody knows who this is. So that lowers the list of the number of people. Because if, it, if somebody knew that they're not necessarily the most famous James, they would try to explain. I'm James, you know, the one that you met at the store last week, right? So he, he would have to specify which James is. But he says, hey, it's James. 
Given the timing of this and uh, his authority, it's probably James who was the apostle who oversaw the church in Jerusalem, which was primarily a Messianic Jewish congregation, and they, uh, this, this group in Jerusalem. Here's the funny part. This particular James was probably James, the brother of Jesus. And so this man grew up with Jesus, and in his life, he came to see that he was actually the Messiah. That, you know, that is a great vote for that Jesus really was the Messiah. If your brother actually thinks that you really were the Son of God, because my brothers, they don't think I'm that great, okay? So you, you might get fooled for like a minute, like thinking Kurt's at least not mean. They're like, no, 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 I've got stories, okay? So they have seen, the, he's seen this guy Jesus in all circumstances, and he's like, I want to worship this guy. So that's James. Uh, who is it written to? He says he sent, he sent this letter out to the 12 tribes. It's kind of the first, uh, the first line of the book. What we get from that is that it is a couple things. It was meant to be a circular letter. It was supposed to rotate around. They were sent it out. The idea was you get it in your church. If that letter arrived in our church, we would copy it and we would send it on to the next church so that they could read it and have it read in their worship service as well. So it's practical advice. It's not meant for a specific church, but meant for many different churches. There's a lot of great theology and the idea of it being to the 12 dispersed tribes. I think he's, he's saying, hey, there's a connection to Old Testament imagery there. That it means for, it's for all the people. It's specifically that those Christians are now adopted into as children of Abraham, all that kind of stuff. But basically, it's meant to be for lots of people. So it's meant to be shared around. Well, the overall theme like I said, of the book of James is, what does it mean for a Jesus follower to be wise? What does it mean for us to be wise? And so we, we've called this series Faith in Action. And the main scripture we're going to look at this morning is in James 3.13. If you have a Bible or Bible app, you can open it up and look at that. We're going to mostly focus on that one verse, James 3.13. James 3.13 says this, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. All right, where I'm going this morning, I'm going to say that James in his book, and even here in this verse, is going to give us four places where we're going to find wisdom. It's found, wisdom is found in action, Wisdom is found in humility. It's found in being steadfast, sticking with it. And wisdom is found in a person. All right, first of all, wisdom is found in action. Uh, he says, hey, if you, we need to hear the word and then put it into action. It needs to go in that place. I want the laundry taken to the laundry room, is what he's saying. I want this to happen. So whoever is wise and understanding among you, let, it sh let them show up by their good life. We should be able to see if you are applying God's truth to life, it should be visible. He says, let them show it by their good, their good life, by their deeds done. And he's like, hey, this should be a visible part of our life if we're showing, if we have God's wisdom in us. Now, if you hear that, that may, uh, that may sound very normal to you, but it also might be a little bit troubling because you know that in many different cultures or in places in the world, the idea of morality, what is right and what you should do, has actually been used a bit as a club on people. That people have felt kind of oppressed by other groups who have said, this is what's right and you should do it. 
And so it gets, it gets used in many different ways around the world. And, and there's this danger of, of a moralism that presses people to do that because it ends up being tyrannical to some people. So there's a danger of a, of a moralism that people would say, well, this is the right way to do it, and so everybody should do it. And if they don't get in line, I, we're allowed to use whatever means necessary to make them do that. And we see that in extremist groups from, uh, we think of Islamic extremist groups, and, but we also think about it even in uh, non-Christian extremist groups. It happens in Hindu groups, happens in Buddhist groups. It can even happen in people who are atheists and say, this is the way that it should be. There's a, and it has happened in Christianity as well. We can't ignore that. that the, in Christian, Christians have used morality as a club for other people. So how do, we, how do we get that so that it doesn't go in that direction? Well, some people will have the opposite reaction then and say, hey, let, let's just become relativistic. It doesn't matter what you think or what you actually do, but everyone needs to, it matters for you personally what you think, believe, and do. Because that's actually kind of the, the only direction that it can go if we disassociate more morality from God. If there's, if there's no God in the world, then the morality that we have needs to be it has no moorings anymore. We would just say, well, it's whatever I think or whatever you think, or it needs to be connected to our culture or kind of a majority has the rule. But when we do that, there's no objective reality for what is good and right. We end up changing our opinion often about what is good and right. Or maybe it's the larger group that can bully somebody else into what is good and right or what they call it that. The, the problem is if there's if we don't have that shared foundation to say it comes from God, it becomes a subjective idea or just a preference. And that becomes, in a new way, a different type of tyranny that is pressed upon people. So if, if relativism is correct, so we, we, we agree, if, even if something is right, the morality of like banging people down with a club, that that's not the right way. But if, so if the alternative is to be relativistic, that doesn't seem right either because what happens is that it ends up being our idea. So in that thought process, what right do we have, for example, as Americans, to impose our view of the world on other people? Say, for example, in some culture uh, in, in the world that they treat women as second-class citizens. We say, that's not right. We shouldn't do it that way. But what basis do we have to actually convince them that it isn't right? We can appeal to human rights. But what is that based on? And it all goes back, ultimately, that we should base it on the way that God sees the world. But if we, if we don't base it on what God thinks of the world, then everything just becomes a power play. And what we have is a new group of people oppressing someone in a different part of the world according to what are our preferences. That's not right either. That doesn't seem right. It doesn't go in the right direction either. So what can we do? We feel like we're caught. We can't do what's right, but then even if we do what we feel like is right, that seems somehow oppressive as well. What can we do instead? I would like to submit that one solution, or the only solution, the only solution, is, is to view this from the lens of the gospel. Because the gospel tells us that we need to be humble, not moralistic. We are actually humble in approaching the world. But we are going to be steadfast and not changing our opinion all the time because we have an identity in God. So we're not relativistic because we have this identity in God. We're not moralistic either because we, we know that we have to be humble. Well, let, let's, let's 
unpack those a little bit more. How the gospel gets at these two aspects of wisdom. So wisdom is in action. It is. But it's going to be, first of all, it's going to be humble action. Wisdom is found in humility. And you know what? The gospel makes you humble. It has to make you humble. He says in our passage here, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show up by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. There's a humility that is there. We have to know, first of all, the, the wisest course of action is to realize we are not wise. We are not wise. As we read through the book of James, there are going to be moments where you're going to say, this doesn't describe me. And it's going to be kind of terrible. I had a lot of terrible moments over the last couple of months preparing this. I think this does not describe me. It says that we should keep a tight rein on our tongue. And I would think about the rude thing I had said 15 minutes before. I think of times where it says, he says, be in trials and temptations, consider them pure joy. And I thought, I was just complaining about my situation. This doesn't describe me. And so what I have to do is to say, hey, this, I, I lack wisdom. The beautiful part is in the first chapter, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask the Father. So he's, he's telling us, hey, you're going to find out that you lack wisdom. We have to know that we're not wise. That's Shakespeare got it in the play, As You Like It. He says, the fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself a fool. So the gospel, the way that it helps us to be humble is that it tells us that we are sinful. And James, he's not going to beat around the bush. This is it's kind of a dangerous book because it's going to feel uncovering for us. Nobody can make it through this unscathed unless you completely put your blinders on. James 3.2 says, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect and able to keep their whole body in check. But I love it. He starts off, we all stumble in many ways. So he's not, we, could, we could use that as the club from before of the action to say, hey, what I need to do is I need to be moralistic and say, I never stumble. And instead I can go and say, hey, I'm, I do stumble in my tongue, so even if I think I'm doing all the right things, I have to know that I am not able to keep myself in check. I, I, one of the dangers of this book is actually applicable in a lot of circumstances. I think you're going to find, uh, as you uh, get through this book, you're going to find a lot of confirmation of the, the brokenness in us. And, and if you receive that as confirmation, either that you are somehow a failure as a Christian, or if you think that that means maybe God doesn't want to really put up with you anymore, then that is not the message you are supposed to be getting from this. You, if you feel like James has uncomfortable truths, that is true. But that is not what he's trying to get at. He's calling for us to go with him on this journey of faith, to come along and say, hey, you haven't got there yet. We haven't arrived yet. If there are uncomfortable truths that are revealed in us, I, I want to say... I don't want you to think that that is news to God. If something is revealed about you as we read through this, it's not news to God that that thing is true. God knew that already. It might be news to me, it might be news to you when we see those things, and it's uncomfortable, but I think we're just pretty successful in our lives at turning a blind eye to uncomfortable truths about things in our own hearts. Now, in other philosophies and religions, 
that would be a bit of a problem because it would be a problem to be exposed as a fraud. And that's what we feel like. We feel like we're being exposed as a fraud. But what would happen in other religions if that happened? Uh, in Buddhism, if uh, you, which teaches you're supposed to be detached from things, what if, um, um, what if a Buddhist monk finds out on their deathbed that what they want mostly, they, that they have this greedy heart? And as they're in their last moments, they go, oh, no, I'm going to have to do this again. I have, I have to be reincarnated and go through the whole process again because you didn't get there. You were found out as a fraud. Or if you are a full-on communist and it turns out in the news, you find out that they had a little business on the side, right? They are being found out as a fraud. Communists aren't supposed to have their own business on the side. But if you as a Christian get found out to be somebody who has a sinful heart, let me tell you that what you are doing is just telling the truth about what we've been saying all along, that we need a Savior. We need salvation from the outside to come in to us, that we couldn't do it on our own. We're just confirming what God has been saying. It actually doesn't show us to be corrupt. It actually proves that God is true. So God is not going to leave us be, and, and we are not going to be perfect this side of glory. So we have to continually come to grips with our divided hearts that we have. But the message of the gospel is that God gave himself for sinners. That's good news. So if you have been always pretending that things are just fine, that means you actually haven't come to grips with what God was trying to say to you, that things are not fine but I welcome you. I'm calling you. God wants, has this grace that's given to us. And the more that we understand the depths of the brokenness in our world and in our own hearts and in other people around us who are saved by grace, the more we're going to understand the enormous, wonderful mercy and grace of God. As we become more humble, God will look bigger. And there's wisdom in that. It's wise for us to be humble. So it's this great equalizer of faith is that we are all broken. You know what? You are sinful. Your spouse and grandparents are sinful. Your kids are sinful and broken. And we have all perpetuated the brokenness in the societal systems and in our own little ways. And we need that to be exposed in us. It's not very comfortable not very lovely. And when we hear that, I want to I say there, there are two responses we can have to that. We can either think, I'm going to try harder. That is an option that you could have. To try, I'm going to earn God's love and I'm going to prove that I belong here. Because when I, when I feel uncomfortable, I feel like I don't belong in God's presence. But that's not what God wants for us. The other one is to say, what a marvelous God we have. That he calls me, he wants me, he wants all of these other knuckleheads around me to be with him. So it allows me to not be judgmental. It allows me to see my brokenness but see that God is good and that helps me to be humble. And I, and I hope that it helps us then to not be relativistic or to be moralistic. We are people who are Christ-centered. Okay, so the wisdom is found in being humble. It's also found in being steadfast, sticking with it. 
The gospel makes you steadfast and persistent, not because you're suddenly stronger, but because you have a new identity. If you were here with us last week, we looked at Philippians 3.14, where the, the apostle Paul says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And we talked about persevering in the faith. James is also going to give strong encouragement in that way to persevere, specifically in the face of trials and adversity, difficulty, and we're going to talk about that a bit more next week. But the, the soil from which this perseverance grows, uh, I, I think about that. I, when I did have my chickens, they helped me a lot with my compost. And I thought a lot about the soil in which my plants were growing in my garden. And the soil here that James wants us, these things to grow up in, this perseverance, and specifically to face that trial and difficulty, it, it comes out of our identity in God. That's the way he sees it. And James never says it explicitly like that, although he says here in our, in our passage we are looking at in James 3.13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by the deeds done in wisdom. So he's assuming that there's this life that we have in God that we're living with him. But he also, one of the things, the words that gets repeated, and I want you to look for this as you read through the book of James, is that he says over and over again, one of the phrases he says over and over is, brothers and sisters. He says, you, brothers and sisters. Our Father, brothers and sisters. He repeats it over and over again. And, and it's something that you can't just blow past, because what that means fundamentally is we are children of God. And just looking even at uh, chapter 1, you get a little foretaste of this uh, assumed connection that we have with each other. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, verse 2. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. And, and as you read through that, you're going to see that lots and lots of times. And, and there's this assumed connection that we have. He's like, you are Christians. I assume that. I'm not trying to say you need to earn God's love. We are connected. We are believers. And so we should, that's why we should do this or that. And so this perseverance that sticks with us it comes from an, our identity in God, that we belong to God. And that makes us humble. It makes us connected to other people. It means that we need to act in certain circumstances this way, which is a really important. It's very different for us to think, uh, I should do this and so that I can earn my place, as opposed to, I act this way because of who I am. One of the ways that I've used to explain this a lot of times is if you or I were adopted by a king and queen, we would become princes, princesses. And we wouldn't naturally act that way because we didn't grow up with it. So we have kind of a, a certain way of acting, but we, we would be asked to act like who we actually are. God is saying, I have adopted you as my child, and I want you to act like it. If you're not acting like it, it doesn't mean that you stop being my child. But I want you to be who you really are. All right, so we need to persevere. So there's an action. Wisdom is action. Wisdom is humble. Wisdom perseveres and sticks with it because of who we are. Finally, true wisdom is a person. And wisdom is actually only really found in Christ alone. There's only one person who has ever demonstrated true wisdom and that is Christ. Listen to some of these verses. Uh, so when James shares these things, who actually does this? Verse, uh, this is chapter 112. 
Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. He's saying, hey, you, you are people who love God, but ultimately Christ is the one who stood the test and persevered under trial, not even sinning. Chapter 317 is a couple of verses after the one we we're looking at here. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. If we look at maybe some of the conflicts we've had over the last few months with people, have we been peace-loving and considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit? No. No. I don't even have to know what you did. I know that's not true. Maybe a little bit. That's good, right? We can, we can aim in that direction, but it's not always been like that. But the one who did do that is Christ who stood before Pilate and was, was considerate and submissive and was did everything even when his life was literally on the line. He's the only one who actually showed wisdom. Even James says, hey, anybody who, is, who keeps their tongue in check is not at fault in anything they do. And when you look through the Gospels, you see that Jesus had a right reply for people, even in very, very difficult circumstances. But Christ is the one who demonstrates wisdom, and even, in fact, he is wisdom itself. As scripture calls him God's wisdom. This is 1 Corinthians 1.24. He says of Christ, Christ, the power and the wisdom of God. Christ, the power and the wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God who came and dwelt among us. And we see what wisdom looks like. Wisdom is a person. So I want to say, you can be really good at investing your money, right? We can be wise investors. That can be really good. You can be wise with uh, your nutrition and uh, about how you use your body. Uh, you can be a really good parent. You raise your kids that bloom. You can be a really wise in parenting. But you, know, you can do all of those things to some degree without God at all. But what we know is that you can't be truly wise in life unless you are connected to God's wisdom who is Jesus Christ himself. Unless you give your life to the gospel, you can be wise in different areas, but you're going to miss the biggest thing out there. You're going to miss the very purpose of life, which is living in connection with our God. So here's, here's my little challenge for this week. I would like to ask you to just go on this wisdom journey with us through the book of James. Would, would you go with us as we continue through James, to read through it, whether to do the study guide or just to be here every week to say, hey, you know, I'm going to be here for the rest of January. I'm going to listen and be a worship and I'm going to sing to God. I want to have the wisdom of God, the words of God penetrate my soul. And what's going to happen if you do that? Maybe nothing. Uh, it's not going to feel like anything at first anyway. But in fact, I'll even say some things could get more complicated for your life. But what you're doing is you're choosing to go on the path of wisdom. Because wisdom is going to be found in not just hearing, but acting. It's going to be found not in just saying what's right. It's going to be found in humility. It's going to be found not in starting to do it, but in being steadfast. And it's not found in us. It's found in a person, in Christ himself. And that's the kind of journey that we need to go on over the next couple of months. Let's pray.
Lord, may we be people who, who think about what it means for us to, to be wise and understanding and to show it by our good life, by these deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. And those, that wisdom that comes from you is you. So may we go on this journey together. Help us to grow in you, to be aware of you and your presence. If this is all new to us, if, if we're new to faith, uh, I pray that we can begin small and say, uh, we want to start with a small prayer. We've been journeying with you for a long time, God. We pray that we will not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. May we love like the way that you want us to love and to, to be humble in the way that you want us to be humble. May that transform our world and, and shape the way that we interact with others around us at the restaurant or in the store or wherever we, as we drive. God, may we be transformed by your wisdom, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.